0: So what makes for a truly exceptional customer experience? We're going to answer that question on today's episode of The Buyer's Mind.
1: Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism. To reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore.
0: Hello, everyone. Once again, welcome to The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, leading you through that process of understanding the way that your customer makes purchase decisions. And on today's episode, the expectations and the hopes that they have for a great experience. And that's the question that we're trying to unpack today. What makes for a great experience? So I'm going to throw that over to our uh, producer, Paul Murphy. Murph, what do you think? What makes for a great customer experience?
1: What makes for a great customer experience? Well, you know, I I think, uh, you know, you have to walk away with great memories. Uh, You have to enjoy whatever it was that you were participating in. Um, And then I think uh, the personalities of the people that guide you through it, I think, are a, a big piece of it.
0: Yeah, it's all—it's about the way that a customer is made to feel, right? And then it's—it's it, it's what they are going through in the experience. And then you made a really, really good point. It's making those great memories. So uh, Daniel Kahneman talks about this that there is the experiencing self about how we are feeling when we're in a moment, and then there is the memory self that is what do we take with us afterwards what do we recall after the fact and if the experiencing self is having a really really great experience then the memory self will carry that with them and it'll cause uh, a a service provider to to completely stand out so i think those points are really really well taken murph Uh, i want to add one other thing as far as what makes for a great experience and i want to suggest that one attribute there would be On-the-fly creativity. On-the-fly creativity. That is, if you want to take really good care of your customers, you need to figure out how you can be extremely creative in thinking about one-on-one experiences. What would that look like for each individual customer that you're talking to? Now, if I can do that, then it puts me into this really interesting mind frame where I'm thinking through, I'm thinking through, uh, who is this person? What are their needs? What are their wants? What are their desires? What are their hopes? What are their fears and their frustrations? How can I serve them creatively? Now, oftentimes when we do that, we tend to think of, how do I do that on a big, fat scale? But what we want to talk about to do today is how to do that in very small ways. What can we do in very, very small steps? This is one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled to have Joe Calloway on the show. He's a leadership expert and an expert in organizations and on the culture of organizations and how that culture drips all the way down into the customer care. But he's the first one who's going to tell you that it's not about customer care initiatives. It's really about the DNA of an organization that would give people inside the organization the freedom to be able to exercise that on-the-fly creativity, I think you're going to love this interview with Joe Calloway. Well, thrilled to bring on uh, just a, a really great thinker, great uh, speaker, uh, profound author, just a really, really good guy. Uh, if you to, to know Joe Calloway is to like Joe Calloway. He's one of the most uh, respected people that you'll see walking the halls of the National Speakers Association conventions for sure. Uh, But he's also just a, you know, that term thought leader gets passed around a lot. Uh, But Joe just thinks on a different plane. Thrilled to have him today on The Buyer's Mind. Joe, welcome to the program.
2: Wow. Jeff, I want want to quit while we're ahead and just stop now. We can wrap it up now. That's fine. (laughs) What a nice introduction. Thank you. And it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, you're you're in today calling in today from, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the great city of Nashville, Tennessee,
2: Nashville. Yeah. Which is home base for me. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm calling from inter, international headquarters here in Nashville. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, have you been in Nashville all your life? You know, m- most all my life. I was out in the northwest near Seattle for a few years back in the late 70s. But other than that, uh, yeah, I've been here in Nashville.
0: Best part about living in Nashville, worst part about living in Nashville.
2: Best part about living in Nashville is it's a creative hotbed and not Mm -hmm. just music, education, business. There are a lot of really, really interesting people and cool things going on. Worst thing, and we're getting to be a cliche city because we are a massive boom town right now. Mm -hmm. All anybody talks about is the traffic and how awful it is. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's 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 that double-edged sword thing that comes with growth. Got it. Got it.
0: Uh, Joe, you are um, uh, one of the true leaders in
2: regards to
0: um, the, the idea of of customer care, and specifically how teams can develop that strong uh, customer care. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to the point where. This is what I want to talk about. This is what I want to be an expert in, and clearly you are. But how did that? How did it evolve over time?
2: Yeah, and it really has been an evolution. I've I've wandered uh, very purposefully and intentionally through a lot of different aspects of how I can help businesses and and business professionals grow, uh, not just sustain their success, but grow their success. And keep moving forward. You know, it's it's been interesting, Jeff, because it has been a journey. I, I tend to have a pretty low threshold for boredom, and so uh, I've moved from, gosh, being a million years ago, I was I was doing just kind of general business motivation, and then I started uh, digging down a little bit deeper into how I could help companies with, uh, gosh, with teamwork, with branding, with with all sorts of competitive positioning things. But, you know, the one common thread, it always comes back to the customer. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the only reason we exist, ultimately, is to to serve a customer. And so, no matter what I'm talking about, and now a lot of what I do is with leadership groups, be they in, in sales or executive groups or whatever, mm-hmm. but there's always that thread of, how are we winning and keeping uh, and staying ahead of the competition when it comes to serving our customers?
0: I, I've lost track of how many books that you've uh, written. I know it's many. Um, I, my favorite was probably Becoming a Category of One. Just absolutely love that book. Uh, and now a- you've two- written uh, The Leadership Mindset. What oh, You could use The Leadership Mindset if you'd like, but just in general, how do you decide What you're going to write on Everybody says, oh, I want to write a book. I want to write a book. Uh, Some people actually do that. uh, But there is that process, that creative process that goes into it. So so how much time do you take? How long are you thinking about a book before you actually write the book?
2: Well, it's interesting. It's been two years since my last book, and people were starting to say, when are you going to write another book? And yeah. my answer was, when I think of something to say. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, here's the tip that I would pass on to people, uh, because, I, I mean, it's it's the only thing that works for me, and I can't imagine it wouldn't work for everybody else, which is... to. To write a book, because, I mean, you, you got to hunker down and do some work to write a book. Right, so right, it right. needs to be something that really flips a switch with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be about an idea that you are genuinely excited about. And I really have to wait until an idea jumps up and bites me and I go, oh, wow, there you go. I want to write about that. Now, Mm -hmm. sometimes Jeff, it'll be, I'll have a chapter in a book and that one chapter will then grab hold of me and it will become the basis for the next book. Mm -hmm. Um, And but sometimes it's just, you know, what's happening in the marketplace? uh, What is it that's going on out there that, that I think, people really need to be thinking about but i do think it's got to be something that that you're excited about if you're not excited about it i don't see how it can work
0: one of the things that's interesting to me that sets apart business thinkers entrepreneurs uh if you will i i I think the term is overly used but thought leaders uh one of the things that sets them apart is that their output is ideas, right? That's what they create. That is what they put out. There are well-reasoned, well-formed and hopefully well-researched ideas. It seems to me that one of the problems that I think a lot of people feel trapped by is that they work for corporations or organizations where they are executors of somebody else's ideas. I get the sense uh, for you, Joe, that that that's just not in your DNA, that you just that you really enjoy the process. I I certainly know I do of just asking what's next and what, what do I want to think about? And then hopefully if I can gain enough insight, people to share that uh, with others, I just don't see you as somebody who could uh, spend his life working on somebody else's ideas.
2: No, I couldn't. As a matter of fact, recently uh, I'm part of a group. It's, it's kind of a uh, a side thing. It's very, it's very important and significant, but it's, it's not my main business. But one of the things that they're doing is they're taking ideas that have been established by, by other experts, and they're then going into companies with those ideas, giving full credit to the, the people that originated the ideas, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're teaching people how to use these ideas. And yeah. I told them, I said, I can't. I can't do that. I I mean, I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm so used to expressing things from putting it through my own filter and my own hours of observation and then reason uh, that it's hard for me to kind of report on somebody else's ideas. There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. It's a valuable thing to do. But yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I tell people sometimes I'm really a lot of what I do. I'm a reporter. Uh, my job is to study the marketplace every mm-hmm. single day and constantly look for what's working and what's, what's going to work, uh, as you look out into the future. And so I'm really, uh, I, I, I see what I do as interpreting the marketplace so that other people can go, oh, wow, I can use that. Mm-hmm. You know, that gives me an idea that I can use. Because at the end of the day, if they can't go out and use it, what's the point?
0: I, I love it. Just two things that differ from what you just said. One is the idea that, you know, adopting somebody else's idea, uh, somebody else's concept. Well, there, again, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're creating your own, when it's something that you're living with, that you're researching, and then you're writing an entire book, it's not just a book. It's a crusade. It's 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 an all-consuming passion that you have. And coming up with that passion for somebody else's idea seems to me uh, a daunting. And uh, at least for me, I, I know that I could not be effective in that. But you you called yourself a reporter. I find that really interesting uh, for people like you in that entrepreneurial mode who. Are constantly observing what's going on and trying to figure out where the lessons are. And I know that you were yeah. recently in uh, in in Barcelona. Uh, you ate at uh, I I probably going to butcher the name, but I believe it was it's pronounced disfrutar. Well, it's one of the best restaurants in the world. Uh, and then you just sat there as an observer. Well, first of all, were you able to enjoy the meal if all you were observing? But secondly, uh, what did you learn about the experience?
2: Yeah, we took a group of executives to uh, Barcelona for one purpose. To, we went to 30 different companies and met with uh, a lot of the senior people in each of the, I say companies. I mean, there were hospitals, there were city governments, car manufacturer, but we were looking for ideas. That's it. It was, it was like a giant field trip for grownups wow. that were in business and And there a lot of the people were in sales and marketing that went with us, but everybody's looking for ideas and One of our stops was disfrutar, and you're right it's it's noted as one of the best restaurants in the world, and we had a twenty two course lunch uh, it, let me give you my two big observations sure one was the the food was so extraordinary, i can't I could talk the rest of the day and i couldn't couldn't do it justice amazingly mm-hmm. creative quality beyond belief. Let me talk a little bit about well, let me put it this way after it was all over, and we have this amazing twenty two course meal, what we told stories to other people about it, it was of course the food, but it was also stuff like this, and I'll give you. a uh, a little slice of something that happened at the end of the meal. And to me, this summed up the culture and part of the, a big part of the reason for disfrutar's success. At the end of the lunch, our uh, our waitress uh, said, What would you like after lunch? And, you know, would you like a dessert wine or an after dinner drink? Or would any of you like coffee or espresso? And a, a good friend of mine, brilliant entrepreneur from uh, England named Paul Rosser, was sitting next to me. He said, sure, I'll have an espresso. And so he then got up and left the table for a a few minutes. Well, the waitress comes back and she gives everybody what they had ordered. She put Paul's espresso down and she says, oh, she said, you know what? I'm going to wait until he comes back and make him a new one. And so she took it away and Paul came back. She immediately brought him a hot espresso. She didn't want it to sit there for the minute or two or whatever that he would be gone and pull off and we all looked at each other and said there you go Mm -hmm. that's a culture that starts at the top and runs all the way through which says (laughs) we will make every customer experience from start to finish as extraordinary as we can make it and uh it, it made such an impression on us. And it was a culture thing, Jeff. Uh, you just knew that that was a top-down cultural thing and that anybody in that business would have done it exactly the same way. Yeah, that's... that's let's and, I mean, anybody that, here in because- that Anybody in that restaurant that worked well, there. Be-
0: because of of two things, it seems to me is listen. There's co- there's customer service, and then there's just that very next level or, or that top level that yeah. few people reach. And, and it and it and it takes two things together. It, it takes creativity, right? You you have to really focus on how you're going to create that really great experience. But it also takes an an organizational DNA. It, it has to be part of the culture of that company. It can't be just some initiative. And, and I, I look, I I. My wife and I last year had the opportunity to have dinner at um, the French Laundry up outside of Napa, uh, uh, Thomas Keller's Ooh. restaurant up there, yeah. and it was an amazing experience. And I have to admit, I I had a hard time, as great as the food was, and it was truly one of the best meals I've had in my life. Uh, I had to look at the way that people did things, and I was trying to sort out in my own mind what of the, what of this is just somebody being creative, and what of it is part of that organizational DNA that gives people the freedom. One of the concerns that I have is that a lot of people work for companies where they look and they go, they got to get my hand slapped uh, for bringing a hot espresso. Uh, I don't get paid for that. So, uh, uh, do I have that right? Is it is it is it that combination of things? And what do companies do to train, foster that type of environment?
2: You know, I think you've got it exactly right. It, in if we could move from the lofty level of Disfrutar and, and the French Laundry down yeah. to something a, a little more every day, a company that that I think really has gotten it right, not 100%. That's almost impossible, but boy, they do really well at it. And, and I think uh, most uh, of Everybody listening, and well, it depends on what market they're in, but a whole lot of the listeners will have flown on Southwest Airlines. And the reason I thought of Southwest is because you said it's not just a matter of customer being top of mind. And it's not just a matter of, you know, oh gosh, how do I say this? It's not just about preaching customer experience, but you said giving them the freedom. Mm-hmm. And at Southwest, one of the keys uh, to their very high customer satisfaction and very high customer loyalty is that they've given their employees the freedom to, it's like you figure it out and, and you do, you do what you think, uh, w- will make the customers happy. And I fly Southwest all the time cause it's a, it's a big, 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 uh, it's 85% of the flights out of Nashville mm-hmm. or Southwest. And it's just been interesting to watch how the employees individually go out of their ways in the most human way imaginable uh, to make flying, which is just such a god-awful experience. Right, right. They've made it darn near kind of pleasant because, well, and, and wait, let's go back to the beginning. Southwest is very particular about who they hire. Uh-huh. uh, they hire one out of every thousands of applicants because they want people that have uh the right attitude. and so yeah, you're right. It's about giving people the the freedom to be creative uh in in a customer experience focused way. and then it's it it's not a project. it's not an initiative. it is culture and it it's it has to be in the DNA.
0: You know, I I think, like you, I fly Southwest uh, uh, quite a bit. And uh, I think of those moments, those individual moments that really define uh, both the organization itself and also the customer experience. And I think about a flight attendant when we had landed. I don't remember where I was, but we had landed and the flight attendant said, uh, we we want to have a special thanks to, uh, you know, private, whatever his name is, a soldier yeah. uh, for his tour. But he's also been gone. He's been in Afghanistan now for a year. He's seated in the second of the last row of the plane, but his family is waiting. Would you all mind just staying seated while he has the opportunity uh, to come forward so he can get off the plane first? Well, how do you think we felt as passengers? I mean, there there was no sense of inconvenience. No, and we didn't stay seated because we gave the guy a standing ovation and the pats on the back. And it was this marvelous, wonderful, touching. People were crying on the airplane over this incident. And then I look at it and I go, how does that happen? And I think it can only happen because an employee felt the freedom to be able to do that, the respect, the trust, and the idea that the organization itself Has their back, and I think my sorry for dominating here, but I'm just so passionate on this topic. Uh, My favorite Southwest story is when somebody had written a letter to Herb Kelleher when he was running the airline years ago, just railing against the employees and saying he's a horrible organization. I'm never going to fly Southwest again. And he did some research and he wrote her back a letter, and he said, "I think you've made a good choice." End of story. That's it. And there, there's that sense throughout the organization of respect uh, that f- gives people the liberty, the freedom, the creativity to be able to take care of their customers.
2: Yeah. It, it, you know, b- both of us being Southwest Flyers, we can swap stories every day. So I'm sure. It yeah. Say. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think the key, though, is that nobody has to read the instructions. there right. To yeah. understand. Now, of course, they have standards sure. uh, that they follow but then it is in the DNA. And that comes from people talking about what's important, what matters most, what we're about, what we value. They talk about it. When I say they, it starts with leadership, but then it runs through the whole organization and they talk about it all the time. So it it does truly become an organic DNA thing. They don't know any other way to do it except to do it uh, the best way possible. How
0: do you think uh, the, the Internet and especially the access to opinion uh, has changed the expectations of uh, today's customers?
2: Two things. And you say access to opinion. Here's the thing. Listen, and, and I've got to go out and sell what I do every single day. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I like to think of myself as waking up unemployed every day. I got to go out and and get some business and here's the thing that is so vitally important and everybody listening knows this i'm just putting it on the table so that we can all acknowledge that yes this isn't just a big deal this is huge which is because of the internet nobody really cares what you say about your business anymore they don't care what i say about my business they don't care about my pitch they don't care about me listing you know the advantages of doing business with me What they care about and what they do is they go on the internet to see what everybody else thinks about my business. Mm -hmm. And that's what matters. And boy, you talk about timing. I am about to change credit cards. And I had pretty, I thought I had made my mind up about which credit card to switch to. And I said, oh, wait, you know what? I need to go online to a couple of places and look at customer reviews. Oh my gosh. I saw so many reviews about the poor customer service. It totally changed my mind. I'm now going to get a different credit card that has great reviews. And it's nothing that the credit card companies said to me mm-hmm. that made that decision. It's what the customers of those companies said. So the moment of truth now with buyers is when they see whether you get one star or five stars from the people that do business with you. You know, the other thing, Jeff, that I think the, the internet has changed is the the expectation in terms of speed. How quickly do you respond to your customers? I was working with a group not too long ago, and they said that their policy is they get back to customers within 24 hours of any email or phone call that a customer sends in. And I said, okay, yeah, I get that. That wouldn't work with me, though. because as a customer because of where i live and they said where do you live i said the 21st century i said 24 <laughs> hours mm-hmm. are you kidding me yeah 24 hours i i can't imagine anybody that waits 24 hours anymore for right. anything mm-hmm. so i think knowing what the opinions of your customers are and the speed factor are are two of the biggest impacts of the internet Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So from that perspective, then, it, it, since you're talking about the way that you do business, here, here's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to open up a restaurant called, uh, Callaway's very hip uh, bar and grill. It is so hip. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not on Broadway. That's yesterday's news. You're, you're in Hillsborough Village, right across from the pancake pantry. And, uh, it is going to be that place. So what are you going to do? Uh, that's going to set you apart from everybody else in town.
2: I, uh, in 1999, I was the majority investor in Mirror, which was a restaurant that opened on 12th Avenue South in Nashville. And every, I swear to you, Jeff, every review of that restaurant used the word hip, including <laughs> my friend, the New York Times. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we were hip. And here, here's what we tried to do. And, and we, it's ground that we, we covered a few minutes ago. We're going back to the disparate thing here. Number mm-hmm. one, t- t- two observations. Number one, we talked about how we wanted to treat our customers. Not the favorite customers, but every customer. But number two, and this is vitally important, I don't care what you're selling. Certainly, <laughs> Certainly, if you're a hip restaurant, hip has a shelf life you can't be the hippest place in town for 10 years Mm -hmm. because inherent in the definition of hip is new. And so we had to learn and what I have to learn in my business, what any business has to learn is what are my customers expectations going to be a year from now? Mm -hmm. And how do I, how do i stay relevant see to me a much more powerful word than hip would be relevant even for a restaurant and by the way the reason the pancake pantry (laughs) still has a line of people running out the door uh, and around the corner every morning year after year decade after decade is quality service value those unsexy things Mm -hmm. that they do so extraordinarily well and keep doing extraordinarily well that it creates going back to the internet. It creates an incredible word of mouth that drives business to them. So uh, ultimately, whether it's a restaurant or anything else, listen, Jeff, if you win on the basics, you win. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about just being competitive. I'm talking about winning on the basics with the understanding that it's it's all a moving target and you have to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, are, are you of the opinion that most companies determine how they want to do business first and then they decide how it's going to affect the customer?
2: Yeah. And I'm exhibit A. and I'm I'm Exhibit A. I mean, I plead mm-hmm. guilty. I've done it where mm-hmm. I'll have what I think is the greatest idea in history. And my friends and colleagues all tell me, oh my God, Joe, that's unbelievable. And even potential buyers tell me, yeah, that's great. Sure, we'll, we'll be, we'll line up at the door for it. And it all started because I thought it was a great idea. And then I, I put it together, I put the website together, I roll it out to the marketplace and crickets. And even those potential buyers that thought it was a great idea when there's a big difference between saying, yeah, that's cool. And turning over your credit card number and saying, yes, I will spend money with you. And so, yeah, I think a lot of companies do determine first, here's what I want to do. And that's part of it. But Jeff, I think it's the old three legged stool. It does have to be something that you want to do and that you believe in. Uh, and then you've got to be step two, leg two, you've got to be really, really good at it. But step number three, there's got to be a market for it. And what startups today, in any endeavor, I work a lot with startups, startups are really an information gathering exercise. You come up with a good idea, you do market research, but then you ship it, you go to market, and the market would then tell will then tell you what to do next here's what's wrong with what you put out here. And you either have to adjust or make changes. Sometimes you realize the horse you're riding is dead and you need to get on a different horse. But it goes back to what we opened with, which is it all comes back to the customer. The customer makes the ultimate decision who wins and who doesn't. And you've got to be totally attuned to that.
0: Uh, We're just about out of time. Tell me your newest book, The Leadership Mindset. Tell us about
2: the book. Yeah, what it is, the subtitle is How Today's Successful Business Leaders Think. And the reason I say today's successful business leader leaders is because I think there's been some real serious changes in in how leaders, uh, successful leaders, think. They have to be much more willing today, for example, as we were just talking about. You've got to be willing to take a risk. Uh, it, the there's just a, you've got to be willing in in the most complicated marketplace any of us have ever lived in. And boy, if this, if this is so true in sales, you've got to be willing to simplify. You've got to know how to bring clarity uh, to your offering. You've got to know how to create a focus on the team. And if the team is just you, listen, every day, Jeff, I get up and I say, Callaway, focus, because, oh, my God, I love a shiny object. (laughs) I mean, I'm the original squirrel. Mm -hmm. I get so distracted by the next idea, and that's okay to a point. But, uh, yeah, the leadership mindset is it's kind of a, a collection of about 20 different aspects of thinking in business today that can create success. Love it.
0: Love it. And speaking of distractions, actually, the very next guest we'll have on the podcast after you, Joe, uh, Cal Newport, who wrote the book Deep Work, uh, a book that has uh, really challenged my thinking because I'm like you. It's the it's the squirrel syndrome over and over again. Hey, before we let you go, we're going to put you on the hot seat. A few rapid fire questions, rapid fire
2: answers. You ready? Go. Your very first job was what? Uh, my very first job job was rolling, putting coins in coin wrappers in the basement of the bank where my father worked.
0: <laughs> uh, an album from your youth that you listened to over and over again. The White Album by the Beatles. How, how could you argue this? Uh, the most beautiful place you've ever stood. The Spanish Steps, Rome, Italy. Mm. Uh, a book that you've read that made a profound impact on your life.
2: Wow. Um, it's just one, fiction, oddly <laughs> enough, uh, uh-huh. gentle, a gentleman from Moscow, uh, uh. the, Oh, Amore Knowles. And the, the, it influenced me because the writing was so beautiful and so moving. It made me want to be a better writer.
0: I, I have to tell you before I've got a couple other questions, but I'm going to take you off the hot seat for a second and just amen that that book was, I read that book so slowly and i do a lot of reading but i read that book so slowly because it was almost like it's like eating at the french laundry or district you just want to savor every bite the writing style is uh, completely unparalleled love it love it love it um yeah a a movie you've seen multiple times but you'll gladly watch when it comes back on again um uh tombstone (laughs) love it last question your first celebrity crush
2: First celebrity crush? Yeah. Uh Mary Tyler Moore, who played Dick Van Dyke's <laughs> sure. wife on the Dick Van Dyke show. I gotta Holy tell moly. you.
0: Yeah. She she had it all going on. There's no question about it. Love it. All right, you're off the hot seat. Uh, Joe Calloway is his name, a specialty in and leadership development uh, author, uh, incredible public speaker. If you have an event coming up and you're looking for somebody who's just going to dazzle your audience, Joe Calloway uh, is that guy. You can learn everything about Joe and follow him at JoeCalloway.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but Joe, I so much appreciate not just your uh, taking the time to come on this show today, but your contribution to making us all better, smarter and more effective for our customers thanks for being on the buyer's mind
2: very kind words thank you jeff thanks for having me
0: murph i'll tell you what when you think about joe calloway you know he's a strong thinker he really is but just everybody that i've ever known when when his name comes up they all say the same thing good guy joe calloway is just one of the really really good guys
1: down to earth you know that that's what we like about people when uh, they come and they express what they know but they're down to earth they make it accessible
0: I, I love the idea that, um, you know, there, there are a lot of business thinkers or a lot of thought leaders out there where you're just trying to sort of, um, you know, sort of work through, figure out, well, who is this person? And there's an instant trust with Joe because you could just see he, he he's, he's not uh, dramatic about it, but he wears his heart on his sleeve. You just get the sense that you. He is the guy and that uh, that that feels passionately about what he talks about. And so when he gets into things like uh, understanding the idea between customer service and that creativity and organizational DNA that goes behind it, it's almost like you you want to send that message out to every company owner that you do business with as a consumer and say, would you please listen to this guy? Because he's got it figured out.
1: Well, and I I love the the discussion we had about his restaurant because this kind of exemplifies it. Hip has a shelf life, right? And Mm -hmm. so the question are: what are my customers expectations going to be a year from now and the importance of doing the unsexy things of service and consistency?
0: Well, I just love the concept of having that sense of deep passion for what it is uh, that you do, especially as it relates to taking care of customers. And I I just love the passion that he shows. And 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 I want to send a word out to those of you who are in sales and say, don't wait for your company to come up with some sort of customer care initiative. You need to own this. And the way you need to own it is that you have to think extremely creatively about how to take great care of each individual customer. Now, look, there are things that we could do programmatically that will take care of all of our customers. But the finest in customer care is Individual. It is unique. Uh, Joe Callaway mentioned the idea of uh, bringing back a sep- a second uh, uh, espresso because we wanted to make sure it was hot. That's just an, a very small example, but a very profound example of that one on one, that creativity for each person. Now, that takes some mental energy to be able to do that. The easy thing is just to sort of go through the motions and, uh, you know, let the customer care initiatives take care of it. If you're looking for easy, I guess that's an option. But if you're truly looking to stand out, if you're truly looking to be unique, if you're truly looking to provide value that nobody else can, you have to think creatively with each individual customer. And I would encourage you to do that right now to think about a customer that you're working with right now and ask yourself the question, what is that plus one thing that I could do today for this customer without the expectation of anything in return? What could I do today that would make a profound impact or even a small impact that will be perceived as profound because of the fact that I'm doing something that nobody else is doing? It takes that creativity. It takes that intensity. It takes that want to. Don't wait for your company to come along and tell you how to do customer service. Just own it. Own it individually. Own it for every single customer, and then go out there and change their world.